Who do you turn to when you're desperate? Who do you run to when you're in trouble? When the workplace has turned toxic? When you're arguing with your spouse and it's been going on and on and on? When you're seeing a specialist and still getting no results? Now, if you dared to share these troubles at coffee time, I'm sure you'd get a lot of different suggestions. Someone might recommend a counselor. Another might tell you to call your mother. You might get the number for a good lawyer or an invitation to go skiing at Sun Peaks. Of course, there's an off chance that someone might suggest you pray about it and promise to pray for you as well. But prayer is not always our first response. I mean, even in the church, we're not always convinced that God is really all that concerned with our daily challenges, or that if God is concerned, that God is really willing to relieve the burden and the pain. But if you believe that, you should really consider the lesson we've heard this morning. Today's story, which is actually two stories, deals with two people in desperate situations. The first story has Jesus being approached by a man named Jairus. Now, Jairus was a prominent man in the community. He's described as a synagogue leader. It's important to note that it would have been strange for someone like him from the establishment to throw himself at the feet of a newcomer like Jesus, one who was so outspoken in his criticism of other teachers. I mean, can you imagine a conservative member of parliament asking a liberal MP for some help in a dispute with Revenue Canada? Can you imagine the reverse? Probably not. But Jairus is desperate. I think as Those who are parents can identify with this desperation. Most of us have at least one story of taking a child on a late-night run to emergency. We are told that the synagogue leader, Jairus, humbles himself and brings his concern to Jesus. Jesus hears that concern and goes with him. But this story isn't resolved so quickly. I mean, there's an interruption. Someone grabs hold of Jesus' cloak. Here we encounter an unnamed woman with a medical condition, an ongoing problem with bleeding. Now, this isn't just physical trauma. She's been wounded both financially and socially. She's spent all her resources looking for a solution. And in the meantime, she's left ritually unclean, as is anyone who touches her. I mean, we've been hearing a lot about the coronavirus And I've been told that some kids in school are starting to wear masks. Some some parents are pulling their uh, kids from school as well. Well, imagine you told a friend that you were worried about being infected. I think you'd soon find that few people were interested would be interested in visiting your home or going out for lunch with you. Now imagine what that would be like. And then imagine that stretching on for 12 years. That's what this woman was living with. Two people approached Jesus for healing. 
One was esteemed, likely well-to-do, and certainly male. The other was female, outcast, and poor. If coming to Jesus was an act of humility for Jairus, coming to Jesus was an act of audacity for the woman. And she knows her situation. And so what does she do? She reaches out to Jesus by stealth. Our lesson tells us she slipped in from behind him, touched his robe, thinking, if I can just put a finger on his robe, I can get well. Now this, as the story goes, has a profound effect on her life. And when Jesus discovers what's happened, instead of getting angry, he commends her. He restores her not only physically but socially, addressing her as daughter, one who has a right place in the family. Well, that woman reaches out to Jesus and is instantly healed, but Jairus, he's got to wait a little longer. His journey with Jesus is interrupted, and in the intervening time, his daughter dies. But here Jesus encourages Jairus' faith. He encourages his persistence, even when others are telling him to give up. And then we heard the rest of the story. What does Jesus do? Sends everyone away, just the parents and his closest disciples. And he calls this woman, reaches down into death, and brings her back alive. Two stories. Jairus and this unnamed woman, woman, there to remind us that Jesus brings life. I'm sure most of you are familiar with these stories. And yet, despite these stories, despite these and many other like them, we don't always reach out to Jesus, even when we're desperate. Some of us lack the humility. Some of us lack the audacity. And some of us have been burned. And what I mean by that is that at some point in our lives, we've asked God, we've pleaded with God to intervene. And when it didn't happen, as we expected, we became convinced that God simply doesn't do these sorts of things anymore. But can we really put this sort of limitation on God? Can we decide what God does and what God doesn't do? Especially when the Bible teaches us otherwise. Just because God chooses not to heal on one occasion doesn't mean that God will refuse every request. John Wimber, a founder of the Vineyard Movement, is noted to have said, at one point we never used to pray for anyone to be healed, and nobody got healed. But then we started praying for everyone to get healed. And now, sometimes, people get healed. A much better average. Sometimes God works quietly in our lives, bringing wholeness through ordinary or natural means. And sometimes God heals in unexpected and extraordinary ways. This uh, past week we were at Alpha, we were looking at the question, does God heal today? One of the stories that was shared was the testimony of Quincy Bellet, a Marine with the British Army, who himself had started attending an Alpha study. And this, these are his own words. Uh, an email he sent after something profound happened in his life. The pain started 12 years ago. After joining the Royal Marines, it became extremely bad. 
The cartilage below the kneecap was completely gone. This injury caused a massive setback in life. Last year was the worst when the ligaments and tendons were torn and the kneecap went in a 45-degree angle. It had been a long and painful journey. I couldn't sit or stand for long. Cut a long story short, I decided to try God and try Alpha. I got back from the Alpha weekend and agreed to attend a prayer service after much hesitation. When someone said a word of knowledge about my cartilage issue, I took the sharpest breath I ever took. Then I agreed to be prayed for. I felt God moving in my knee. I dropped on my knees to test it, and remarkably, there was no pain. It's just miraculous. I went for a run last night. It was the first time after a very long time I haven't had any pain. God is real, Quincy continues. If God can do this after such a long time, there is nothing I am restricted to. Now, sometimes God works quietly in our lives, bringing wholeness through ordinary or natural means. Sometimes God heals in unexpected and extraordinary ways. And sometimes God provides us with the hope and perseverance we need to wait for the new age that God is establishing when his kingdom of health and peace will reign in its fullness. It's interesting to consider that not everyone in Judea was healed during Jesus' ministry. Even those who were healed, and we talked about Lazarus at the memorial yesterday, even those who were healed like Lazarus would one day fall sick and die. Healing in Jesus' time and today serve as signs of God's love and compassion for us, signs of the good future God has planned, a future that we hear about in the book of Revelation, a time when he'll wipe every tear from their eyes, when death is gone for good, tears gone, crying gone, pain gone, all the first order of things gone. And that's where I think most Presbyterians pin our hopes. God's final redemption of all things. But that doesn't mean we are left to struggle on our own today. I mean, I wonder what would happen if we all reached out to Jesus in our times of desperation. If we approached God in humility or audacity we might also experience something of the astonishing mercies of God. And yet I think there's something even greater to imagine because just bringing our concerns, that's the me-only version of our culture, right? I mean, I wonder if the church reached out to others to our friends and our neighbors, asking for God's healing to be poured out on them. What would happen then? Now, in the Presbyterian Church in Canada's Book of Common Worship, there is a rite, an order for wholeness and healing. Hard to believe it. 
It's like right in the book. This order includes prayers and blessings following the biblical example. It also includes an opportunity for anointing with oil and the laying on of hands. Now, I've been in ministry for, well, coming up to 15 years soon. But I've only used it once. I'm hoping that will change. That in our desperation, we will come to God and ask for help. So if you want prayer, better yet, if you need prayer, today after the service, I'm going to remain up in the front. I'm not going to head out to the door. And a couple elders will join me up here. Together, we can seek and ask for God's healing. Amen.